0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Just one verse to read. To kind of put in our minds the context of what we're reading in Ezekiel 37. What God is doing in the new birth. What God is doing by His Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. reads this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, they have been born again. They have been made new and the old is passed away. Um, I was speaking with a friend before we look at Ezekiel 37. I was speaking with a friend the other day, a while back, about the day that the Lord saved him. And we were talking about what was going on. And uh, he'd, he'd been in a church attender, uh, I think even a member, most of his life. Um, but on that Sunday morning, he said, I could clearly see what I'd already seen. He said, it was like I understood what I'd already known. He'd heard it all his whole life as a church attender. He's heard it growing up in his house. But on that day, the Lord saved him. Something changed. He could see and he could understand. And that compelled him to respond the gospel that compelled him to actually repent and follow Christ. Um, He was born again that day. He was given new spiritual life. He was given that new spiritual heart, as Miss Fay spoke of earlier. Uh, Last week, I gave a really simple kind of understanding of the new birth as in um, the giving of new spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. Well, I kind of want to broaden it a little bit today after we've talked about it some, and as we're going to look at it a little bit more. The new birth is a supernatural act of God. Supernatural meaning outside of nature, outside of the common. It's a supernatural act of God to graciously bring... The dead to life, the deaf to hear, the blind to see, and the dumb to understand. And when I mean dumb, I just mean lack of understanding. And this is done by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we looked at this morning in Sunday School. And so today, I want us to kind of finish where we left off last Sunday and get into the details of the results that we know and we felt and we see in scripture of someone who has been born again, someone who has been regenerated, who has been made alive to Christ. So, now Ezekiel 37, I want us we're not going to read it again, but I want us to think about three things. Look at verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12 and let's notice the condition Ezekiel 37, verse 11 and 12. Let's notice the condition. Not only, I mean, we've kind of hammered it home. It's bones, meaning dead. Uh, not just bones, but dry bones. They're they're really dead. There ain't no life left in these bones. But look at what 11 and 12 says as we see the condition The bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. He says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, where are these people? I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. No hope. No life, no breath, nothing. The condition is dead. Now, so what, number two, so what part do these bones, or as we think about it in our context, what part do we bring in this bringing of new life? What did these bones do? nothing At first they did nothing these bones did absolute that that's the point of their condition dry bones in the grave cut off hopeless to come to new spiritual life these bones cannot bring themselves back to life nor can they do anything to initiate Life. So what initiates life? What activates life? What activates the cause of life that we see in these verses? Look at verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5 and then we'll look at 14. What is the, act, the, the active ingredient? What is causing life to come? I love the way... In verse 3, the way God asks Ezekiel this question that seems crazy. He says to Ezekiel, Can these bones live? My thought is, No way. These bones, no, they can't live. But Ezekiel says, What's he say? Oh, Lord God, you know, with man it is impossible, with God, Anything is impossible or anything is possible. Oh, Lord God, you know. I'm sure Ezekiel was thinking of his back of his mind. But then he remembers whom he's in conversation with. Verse four, what is the active? Who is activating? Who is causing life? How is it being brought He said to him, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The life comes from God through his word. The life is spoken by the words of God. Behold, notice the the who is acting here? Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and you. Uh, I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you. I will cover you. All spoken by His word. Hear the word of the Lord. You think Ezekiel's like? You want me to talk to bones? You want me to prophesy to dry bones. Sounds a lot like Isaiah when he says, Hear my Lord. And he goes, go tell them, but they ain't going to hear. How long am I going to do this until the land is desolate? Sounds like a hopeless message. Sounds like a hopeless endeavor. Go and speak to these dry bones. Say to them, Hear the word of the Lord. Now, hear the word of the Lord. Let's just get this. There is the power. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the word of the Lord, the word of the cross, for it is power unto salvation for all who believe. What is activating life within these bones? But the word of God and the word of God only bringing life to them. And look at verse 14. So the, the Hebrew word breath that you see through most of these verses, um, speak to the breath, breathe into them, uh, the breath comes. That word is interchangeable with spirit like what we've said before when god breathed into adam's nostrils that word very it's the same same idea with spirit so breathe breath spirit life right verse 14 i will put my spirit within you and what's the result and you shall live that is the result this is a perfect, perfect illustration of the new birth, of being born into the family of God. If you get one thing from the study of this new birth over these yet yeah, last week and this week, we are saved 100% by the grace of God. A hundred percent. It's not... God gives 90% and you give 10% or God gives 99% and you give 1%. Dead dry bones made alive by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. Salvation is not partly determined and willed by us And then partly determined and willed by God. What grace is in that? That you're like, I got it. Okay, now you can come to me, Lord. No one steps out unless God has come to them. Grace. This is why we have to see and understand the magnitude of grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. Our sins brought us to death. It has brought us into not just death, but we're just bone. No ligament, no flesh, and dry as dust. But God has come to us in his grace. Grace that is greater than our sins. The power of our sins to kill us. The grace of God to bring something that is dead to life. Think about this for a second. I've heard Paul Washer say that creation, God making something out of nothing, is what a wonderful miracle, obviously. But in salvation, to take something that is already dead and then make it alive seems as just a greater miracle, if not greater. That is the powerful work of God, and it is a beautiful act of grace. First, John 1, verse 13, I'll read this. But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood. They were born not of the will of the flesh. They were born not of the will of man, but they were born of God. To be brought into... The family of god i don't I don't know if I said this last Sunday or if I said this to someone that the idea of being born of God, and if I said this last week, just yell at me the idea of being born of god in in John one or to be born again into the family of God you know how all throughout um the Old testament the New Testament you have these um genealogies, and it says. If you've got the King James that says, so-and-so begotten, so-and-so begotten, so-and-so. Well, that word in John 1 of being born of God means being begotten of God. I don't know. When I think of it that way, it makes me think, oh, okay. I have been begotten of God. Now, my mom's in here. And I came, I came from my mom... beyond just my flesh that which lives forever that which is in me that will continue upon my death has been born has been begotten of God and as no different from coming from my mother I played no part in that but to be born of God to be To be begotten of God, I played no part in that either. But that was the grace of God upon me, upon all of us who have been born again. So let's get a little bit more practical this morning and let's think about the results of this. The results of this new birth, the results of the pouring out of the Spirit, of the indwelling Holy Spirit within a person. Um... Few things that come to my mind. Things that are born again. Things that are uh, awakened. Understanding and knowledge. And we'll go through these. Faith. Those go close hand in hand. Another. New desires and affections. What we love. What we're after. What we want. And all of that going hand in hand then with... Obedience. Understanding and knowledge, faith, new desires, and obedience. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Um, look, let's um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So the first thing we're going to look at is understanding. What happens to a person who is born again? in regards to understanding, in regards to knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and when you get there, I'm going to read uh, a couple verses from Matthew to help us kind of think about this in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse... 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But before we read that, I want to remind you about a question Jesus had for the apostles and Simon Peter's response and answer to that question. Alright? So we're talking about understanding and knowledge being given or awakened in someone who is born again. And keeping in mind that the new birth is by the Spirit of God. So, uh, Jesus asked the the apostles, who do people say that I am? Some say their responses. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. One says Jeremiah or another prophet. Uh, And then Jesus turns it around and says, but who do you say that I am? What do you know about me? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He knew that. He had understanding of that. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon bar Here it is. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood has not re- revealed this to you. This has come from my father who is in heaven. You do not speak this because you just know it or someone has whispered into your ear this. This has come from God. Your understanding of who I am. Now, okay, uh, when Sylvia and I will be driving in the car, and we'll be talking about something, or it'll be quiet, and then she'll say something... That is completely out of the blue or has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. And I'm thinking, well, how did you get there? But she's gotten real good lately. Uh, We've been 10 years married this last week. to to, to, To follow up with saying something out of the blue or out of context. To then just go ahead and connect the dots for me. So, okay, well, I said that because I was thinking about so-and-so from a few weeks ago, and that made me think about this, which made me think about that. And then I was, you know, that, that is why I said what I just said out of the blue. She had that all in her mind, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about until you express to me what's going on in your mind. All right? Now... Look at First Corinthians chapter two, verse ten, and a few verses, and let's see something similar. All right. Um, verse ten starts at the end of a, another sentence, so it begin it picks up with another sentence in verse ten. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So Sylvia, she's just said this thing. I have no idea what she's talking about. But in her mind, she knows exactly what she's talking about because it's in her mind. No one knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person which is in him, right? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Same Parallel, you don't know, the only person that knows what God is thinking is God and, and that he knows it because his spirit's within him. Now look what he says, verse 12. Remember, we're talking about, we're thinking about understanding. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now imagine if you could have the spirit of your spouse within you and you would know exactly what was going on in their minds. Some of you are like, I don't want that. Others are like, well, that might be helpful every now and then. That's what we're talking about here. God says, I want you to know what I'm thinking. I want you to know what I have planned. I want you to know what I have done. Here is my spirit so that you might know because the spirit, my spirit searches my depths, God says. Look what he says. Verse 13. This, is a verse, this, thir- this verse is more of a kind of an application for us to always keep in mind as a church church that we're not looking to do things uh, flashy or to think of something new or to try to convince people by being worldly. But no, in verse 13, we impart these in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So here it is, verse 14. So, who understands the mind of God? Who has godly wisdom and understanding? The last few verses have just told us those who have the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 14. The natural person, which would be the opposite of someone with the Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Period. He he makes this point even clearer. For they are folly to him. Foolish Nonsense. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Someone without the spirit of an unbeliever. How many times have you told an unbeliever the truth of their sin? You've spoken to them the glorious grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nothing. Nothing. They cannot discern it. Not only can they not discern it, they think it as foolish. And they will until He breathes life into their bones until His Spirit indwells in them and like my friend, helps them to see what they had already seen, helps them to spiritually understand what they worldly already knew. Only by the Spirit of God coming within and making them a new creation. Um... The flesh is of no help for us. Nothing within our flesh is of any help for us. Even for us today, who have the Spirit of God within us, we still battle what the flesh has to offer. So imagine the person who is in the flesh who does not have the Spirit of God. Hopeless. Dry bones dead in their grave. But when one is born again, when the Spirit of God enters, when they are awakened, when they are brought to life, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. found, Was blind, but now I see. So the implications, there's some implications for us in this. Uh, this is really difficult. We want this church to be full, right? Well, there's an easy way to do that. And that's just to throw out everything I just told you. To throw it out and say, come on in. Jesus wants everyone, no matter what, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about this sin. You don't have to worry about... We, we can just throw it all out. Now that seems really far-fetched. But what breaks my heart is that in small ways, churches across all America have done this very thing. And they say, they make it about that person. They make it about what their desire is. What their flesh might want. And I, I, they do it with good intentions because they think if they walk down an aisle, if they pray a prayer, if they sign a card that they're in. It's not the way it works. God must impart spiritual wisdom and understanding that they might know that they have sinned against a holy, just, Righteous God. And that sin has condemned them to hell for all eternity. There is no salvation apart from repentance and confession of sin. But hey, if you want to go to heaven, just call upon the name of Jesus. That ain't going to do nothing. Nothing. If you if I said you go you can go in this door today, right this one, and there's this awesome pool party. Okay? We got pizza, Dan, in this pool party. <laughs> and it's feel it's hot outside. It feels so good that water is nice and cool. All you got to do is just say I want to go and you get to go. But here, you can come over here. This room's on fire. Which one do you want to go to? Everybody is going to want to go to that door. Well, the problem is, is that people sit in churches all throughout America this morning and they've made a decision to go to the pool party. And that's all they know. And they use the name of Jesus to fulfill their selfish desires of making sure That when they die, because they know they are, that they get to go to the pool party. The only way someone gets to go to heaven, as Jesus said, the only way that someone will see and understand, the only way that someone will enter, is to be born again. And for the implications for us as a church... Is that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call upon them to repent and believe of their sin, to cry out to Christ, and to believe. Some won't. Some won't. Some will. And some will do it because they wanted to go to that pool party. No matter how much we watch what we say and how we act. But what we'll see as we go throughout this understanding of the new birth is that when someone does call on the name of the Lord and they have been born again, there will be fruit. There will be evidence. And this is why God brought us together is for the sake of reminding each other that. Hey, why'd you come today? Are you here because... You know, you're hoping to get something out of it. You're hoping to get to the right place. Remind one another, we were dead and blind. And God has given us life and sight. He has forgiven us and given us eternal life. So let us praise Him and live for His glory, seeking to become more holy in His sight as the reason why He has saved us. We must remember, we must remember that those who believed, who received him, were born not because of they desired it within their flesh or because they wanted it, but because God begotten them. And when God begotten them, they wanted it with all their might. And that's the things that we see is one that we'll talk about is new desires, new affections. Going from loving the world and your own passions and lustful desires to seeking God, seeking righteousness, seeking the kingdom of heaven and seeking to put sin to death for the sake of holiness. These are the new desires that well up in someone who has been given spiritual understanding who has been shown the wretchedness of their sin and the holiness of God and the glorious grace of the cross of Christ. These are the affections that pour out. Now, I'm going to bring these two together. So I just talked about In the new birth, we have been given spiritual understanding by the Spirit of God. And we've been given new godly desires by the Spirit of God creating us new. And outflowing of that understanding and outflowing of those new desires come two fruits, two evidences. Number one, faith. And number two, obedience. How's the old song go? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Faith and obedience. Those are the results of the life breathed into you. Faith. Now, I, I spoke of this last week, but I want us to look at it closely when it comes to faith. So let's think, before we turn there, Ephesians 2, if you go home and read it, it shows you this outline of death to life, right? And at the end of it, or towards the end of it, it says, for by grace, this undeserving merit that you haven't done anything to receive or to to earn, for by grace you have been saved through faith, right? Faith, trust. Faith is believing what's been said to the point of action. A lot of people will come in these doors and say, yeah, I believe, and so I don't have to come every Sunday or I don't have to necessarily watch what I say or how I live because I believe that's enough. No, faith is a belief that results in something. Right. An understanding that comes, here comes that understanding that we've been given. Right. So faith, you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not it is not of your own doing, but is a gift very important, gift, a gift of God. Now, the opposite of, of Rome, in Romans, the, the whole gift language, isn't that here's a gift, you must grab it to take it. That's not the illustration that Paul uses all throughout Romans. It is the, the gift of God is the opposite of what you are owed for your wages, right? So the wages of sin is death you have earned every bit of those wages, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that illustration of a gift from Paul is you're going to earn your wages for your sin, or you're going to receive a free gift that you did not have to earn, that you can't earn, I'm just going to give it to you, a new birth. Okay, so for by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God so that no one may boast. As Jonah said, as he is sinking to the depths of the ocean, about to die. No hope. God saves him. And what does he say is he's in the belly of the fish. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. So let's quickly, and this will be the the end of it, turn to Romans chapter 10. Now this is, we we want to keep this in mind for two reasons. For the sake of your worship and humility before the Lord, but also in understanding how we go about in evangelism, how we go about in proclaiming and what we truly are depending on When we go to evangelize. So keep this in mind for the sake of your own humility and worship for the Lord, but also in what we lean upon as we evangelize. So, Romans 10, starting in verse 9. Again, I said this last Sunday, but I said it really fast and we didn't look at it. Faith, we want people to believe, we want people to respond. That is the point. That's why we preach. That's why we proclaim to people to hear and respond. And Paul says very clearly in Romans 10 verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess that he is Lord you will be saved Now turn a few pages to 1 Corinthians 12 So starting in verse 1, verse 1 and 2 kind of help us see what the context is uh, to some degree. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's the important context. You know that when you were pagans, meaning you were natural people, the Spirit of God was not in you, right? When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led... Verse three, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. Now, let me remind you, Romans 10, Paul says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Well, he finishes and says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So here's what we must understand. That it is as simple as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. But it is impossible without the Spirit of God. It is impossible to make one step towards God to please Him. It's impossible to to say one word To be saved without grace, without God breathing His Spirit within you, showing you your sin, showing you who He is, showing you the salvation that is only in Christ. And in that, in giving you that, that understanding, He is giving you the ability to believe. And respond, and you can say, and you want to shout, Jesus is Lord. And apart from the Spirit of God, is impossible. And this all comes, as I said at the beginning, this comes to us as it did to the bones by the Word of God. Speak to those dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So there's a lot more to go into And we'll pick this up tonight and we'll finish, we'll finish this study on the new birth this evening, Lord willing. Uh, And it will lead us right back into the rest of the Beatitudes. They are really um, results, fruit of all of that, what we're speaking about in the new birth and how we live. Uh, Believer, consider the grace of God daily. Meditate on it. Consider your sin. Consider what it has done. Consider your rebellion against God. Consider the condemnation you deserve. But consider the love and grace that God has shown you and poured out in you by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. Live in that daily. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But today is also the day that this new spiritual life is offered to all to believe and repent jesus said that the kingdom of god is near come to christ and be saved don't get caught up in well am i born again it's not what jesus said he said believe and repent And if you believe and repent, by the grace of God, you have been born again. Come to Christ today. And make your faith known through baptism. Baptism is an illustration of what we're discussing. Dunked into the water. Dead in sin. Dead to sin raised to a new way of life. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, this new way of life, an assurance that the new birth gives and the security of the believer because of the new birth. Let us turn to 407. Hymn 407.